Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, Jesus, the King Who Came to Die, a study of the Gospel of Mark. This dynamic, fast-paced book gives the story of Jesus the Messiah, God's Son, the King, who came to suffer and die to save His people. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's Word in your life today. And we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 25. Some scholars count this as two parables, uh, some as one. We're going to be just covering it all together in one text today. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 25. So I encourage you now to hear the word of God. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And even more. Whoever has will be given more. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. So yesterday we had our Bible display as part of the uh, Easter egg hunt and family festival. And we also do it at the county fair each year. And one of the things that we do, yesterday we didn't actually have this, this item here, but one of the things that we do at the county fair a lot is we show them a particular artifact that Mark Holmes owns. And I'm putting it up here on the screen right now, and, and there's a quiz we give the kids that you can give you right now. Who knows what that is? That is a lamp right there. That's an ancient lamp. This is one of the things that Jesus was talking about. These are usually the the ones that are a little bit smaller. Uh, The one Mark has, you can actually put in your hand and carry it around. They would fill it with oil. They would light it on fire, and it was more or less, I tell the kids, it's like a little flashlight. You could use it at night. You could carry it around in your palm and do that. And so this picture, there's a lot of these have been recovered from the ancient world. Um, But when Jesus mentions the lamp, you know, we kind of think of lamps that are like big, tall you know, glass things with a big globe on the top. That's not the way they were in the ancient world. This is what he's talking about, is one of these lamps, and many of them were very, very small, and they would do it. And he uses that lamp in the parable today. And so we want to ask ourselves, what is it that he's trying to communicate to us, and particularly, again, reminding us about the kingdom and also our response to the kingdom. That's what Jesus is doing over and over again in these parables. So what is he revealing to us? So let's dive in. Now, here we, we, we begin by talking about uh, the, the lamp of the Lord, and Jesus has this intriguing saying about the lamp, that at first, you're going to say it doesn't seem that intriguing. He says to them, do you bring in a lamp and put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? And on the surface, this seems really easy to understand, right? Because the obvious answer is, well, no, you don't do that. You would bring a lamp in, particularly like one of the ones we just showed. You would set it up on a stand because then it gives light and it reveals something. So since the purpose of the lamp is, in fact, to give light, you would not put it under something. 
And all of that is true, and all of that is very straightforward, but there's something that's a little bit unusual about this lamp. For this part, I'm going to have to explain a little bit of Greek here to you, um, because it doesn't come out in the English translation. And that is that it doesn't actually say you bring in, you don't bring in a lamp and do this. It actually says in the Greek, the lamp does not come to be put under the bowl. It doesn't say somebody brings the lamp. It says the lamp comes on its own, and it doesn't come to be put under a bowl. And it's really clear, no, nobody that reads Greek disagrees with this. This isn't even a controversial thing. The reason they don't translate it that way is it sounds a little weird to us to say, what, what is the lamp sprouting feet and walking in here? And the answer is yes, the lamp did have feet. Uh, because we're going to talk about who the lamp is. It's a strange lamp that moves on its own, but Jesus is doing that because again with the parables, he's trying to make us think. So he did not say, you bring in a lamp. He actually said, when a lamp comes on its own, do you put it under a, a bushel? And the answer is no. And this is the reason because Jesus is trying to get us to reflect. The metaphor of a lamp is very common in the Old Testament. And it referred in particular to two different things. There is a famous verse that you may be thinking of, your word is a lamp for my feet. And that is true, but actually there were two much more common metaphors uh, for which the lamp was used. Number one is it was used to refer to God himself. God is the lamp. In 2 Samuel 22, verse 29, David, at the conclusion of his life and his prayers, prays this, you are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord turns my darkness into light. And so notice here, David tells us that God is the lamp and he gives light in the darkness. I've kind of broken that verse up on the screen there so you can see the parallelism. You are my lamp is parallel with the Lord. Um, and, and then you've got the turning the darkness into light. It's actually more like a chiasm, really, uh, that, that, that it's you are my lamp, O Lord, O Lord, you're turning my darkness into light. So God has the ability to reveal things, even things that are hidden. Even if they're in the dark, they're not in the dark to God because God is light. God is a lamp. And that's the first thing that we see in the Scripture. But there's a second thing that is in the Scripture that I think Jesus is alluding to in this parable. And that is that David and all of his line, the Davidic kings, and ultimately the Messiah are referred to as the lamp. There's a famous story in the life of David. Late in David's life when he is older, he goes out to battle one day, and because he's older, uh, he doesn't quite have the physical stamina anymore, and he ends up falling down, and it looks like he's going to get killed. Some of the guys rush in, and they save David, and then in response, this is what they say, 2 Samuel 21, 17, Abishai, son of Zeruiah, came to David's rescue. He struck the Philistine down and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out to, uh, with us to battle, so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. So notice here, David referred to the Lord as the lamp, but the people, the soldiers, who are they saying is the lamp? They're saying, David, you're the lamp. You're our king, and so we can't take a chance on you getting extinguished. We appreciate you went down and struck down Goliath. <laughs> 
the Philistine, but you almost died at the hand of a much lesser Philistine today, and we are not going to let your lamp be extinguished. Well, out of that grew the metaphor that the line of Davidic kings were all referred to as the lamp. So there's a a number of verses. I'm only going to give just a couple of them here. In Psalm 132, verse 17, uh, the Lord is making a promise regarding Jerusalem and how it's always going to have a king there. It says, here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. And you'll see the Messiah is often referred to as both a horn and a lamp. And we'll see that actually in the New Testament uh, later. But notice here that, that this king that God is promising and saying, look, as David was a lamp, the kings that arise from him, that come from his line, they are all a lamp for my people, and I'm promising that I will have this lamp to be there. In Second Chronicles chapter 21, which is near the very end of the Old Testament and the way the Hebrews put their Old Testament together, Second Chronicles is actually the last book in the, uh, in the Hebrew ordering of books in the Old Testament. Near the end, it's during the exile, and we read this, or, or heading in the exile. Nevertheless, because of the covenant of the Lord had made with David, the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David. He had promised to maintain a lamp for him and his descendants forever. So notice here, even though the Davidic kings had failed, even though they are going into exile, and the book of Chronicles is actually written after the exile because it ends with the people being restored to the land they're recounting here that God is saying even though you have failed even though you have broken the covenant even though David's sons have broken the covenant again and again and again the reason they remain before me is I made a covenant I was going to keep uh, David's line going and I was going to bring the Messiah the true son of David, the true king was going to come from this line. And so I've promised I'm going to maintain a lamp for them forever. And so when Jesus is revealing this metaphor here, it's a statement. The lamp comes on its own because the lamp is the Messiah. The lamp is the true son of David and he has not come to be concealed but rather to be revealed. And that's not just even a surmising here. This is a major point in the New Testament. So here's a couple of verses from the New Testament that refer to Jesus, usually using the term of light, which of course is what the lamp is meant to give. But notice how often this is done. In Luke chapter 2, Simeon is praying and uh, when, he, when he sees Jesus and he, he bursts out into this this poem and he says, uh, you can dismiss me now, Lord, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And actually, even the the phrase that it's glory to your people Israel, the glory of the Lord was always seen as a light. So he's saying, look, when the Messiah comes, he's going to be a light. But the amazing thing is, he's not only the light of the glory of God for Israel, he is a light of glory and revelation to the Gentiles. As a lamp would come in and spread light and reveal things, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to be revealed and reveal to even the Gentiles. John begins his gospel this way. He's speaking of Jesus coming. He says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now, John's got so much going on here because this, of course, is really going back to the book of Genesis, okay? And as light is coming forth in Genesis, there is light, and God speaks and says, let there be light, and the light shines out into the darkness. Paul tells us this is what happens when you and I are regenerated, actually. John brings it up here and says, look, when you go back to Genesis and you want to talk about life, that life is Jesus, and you want to talk about light shining, that light is Jesus. But notice here what he says, the darkness has not understood it. Some translations even say has not overcome it because the word can be used for either way. But the point is, which John is going to be making here, is when the light came to God's own people, the people should have recognized the lamp. They should have recognized and seen the lamp, the Messiah, but did they? They didn't understand even though he was being revealed, they did not understand. Jesus takes up this same idea in John chapter 8 and one of the famous I am sayings. And notice what he says in John 8, 12. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So if you got up in the middle of the night in Israel and it was dark, what did you do to see where you were going? You light a lamp. And you carry it with you. And Jesus says, I'm that light. I'm that lamp. That's who I am. And if you are walking with me, you'll never walk in the darkness. And so notice here in all of these, Simeon knows the Messiah is the light of God's revelation and glory. John tells us Jesus is the very light coming to shine in the darkness of the world, but the darkness does not understand it. Okay, and then John further, you know, records Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world, one of these great seven I am sayings. So this idea was that in the Old Testament we were being told into the darkness God was going to bring the lamp, the, the Messiah, the son of David that was going to come and fulfill all of the covenant promises. He was going to be the light of the world. He was going to bring God's revelation and glory not only to Israel but even to the Gentiles. And so Jesus is putting this out here, and again, he uses this unusual phrase in Greek where he says, the lamp does not come, because in a parable, what's he always trying to make us do? Think a little bit, it, because what he's ultimately saying is this isn't about a lamp you carry around in your hand. I'm talking about something much deeper, and what he's talking about is the light of God's revelation. But that brings us to the next point, which is he's talking about concealing and revealing. So notice again, uh, the lamp comes to reveal, and he uses this very straightforward saying, you, a lamp's not you know, here to be put under a bowl uh, or a bed, instead it's put on a stand, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed or revealed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. So a lamp, again on a very basic level here in the parable, is not meant to be hidden, but to give light. And a lamp should be seen and give light so that everything else can be seen. The only way that the lamp can work is you have to see and behold the lamp, and then by that lamp, you can actually see and understand everything else. So concealing a lamp, that would mean it would not be seen and nothing else would be seen. Here, I'm gonna put up a quote by C.S. Lewis that explains this a little bit. This is a great quote to even think about. Lewis, in an essay called Theology is Poetry, said this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. 
not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Okay, this is the lamp. The lamp comes not only so that we can see it, but so that by it, we can see everything else. That's what the lamp is here to do, but neither of those work if you stick it under a basket. Then you don't see the lamp, nor do you see everything else. Everything depends upon the light being revealed. But here's the interesting thing. As we've been seeing in Mark's gospel, there's a question about this. Because again, notice in verse 22, whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Jesus is the lamp. He's making this proclamation. But is he being revealed openly at this point in the gospel? In fact, what we've seen time and again, when Jesus heals someone, drives out a demon, performs a miracle, what does he tell them? Don't tell anybody. I thought he's trying to be revealed. At this point in his ministry, if you actually go and read in the Gospel of John, his brothers are, if you're who you're claiming to be, you need to get out in the open. You need to get a PR firm working for this. Okay, you need to get out there to the, to the festival in Jerusalem and really do something in the open. And Jesus says, hey, your time is your time. Any time is good for you guys. I have to follow what the Father is doing. So there's this interesting thing that Jesus has been telling people don't reveal who he is. And even in his teaching, remember we're in this section on the parables and what has he said? I'm speaking parables because everything is concealed to those who are on the outside. It's revealed to you who are on the inside, those of you who are receiving my word, but to everybody else it's in parables. They're, they're not understanding. And so Jesus saying this is a, is a bit of a riddle right here because one might say, but you are the lamp and you have come, but you seem to be putting yourself under a basket. That seems to be, I mean, you're not being fully revealed. But the interesting thing is he's promising, us, promising to us and to the disciples here, look, I may appear to be hidden now, but everything that is hidden is gonna get disclosed. And everything that is concealed is going to be revealed. And so think about it right now. What we're seeing at this point in Jesus' ministry is he seems to be hidden. But it is going to be disclosed. Particularly as we come up, it's kind of interesting, we're hitting this parable here at the beginning of Holy Week where Christians are observing because it's particularly as we get to that point, Jesus the lamp is being revealed. As we began our meeting this morning, we're reading later in Mark's gospel, when he comes into the city, what's happening? Everybody's got the palm branches. And who are they proclaiming him to be? This is, this is the son of David. This is the one we've been waiting for. And so he is being revealed. We also see it later, you know, in the transfiguration, the, the glory of Jesus is done. Particularly, you know, on, on Palm Sunday we see it. But then even throughout Holy Week, because he goes in and, and what's one of the first things that he does? He cleanses the temple. He comes into his own house and he cleanses the temple. He refutes the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. He's showing his superior wisdom and power. All of this is now being done in the open. It's no longer being done kind of quietly. In fact, during this particular week, he's going to actually pronounce woes and predict the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. 
When the disciples are like, look how amazing the temple is. And Jesus says, do you see this? I'm telling you what, not one stone is going to be left upon another. And he predicts what's going to happen in 70 AD. All of these things are Jesus kind of lifting the basket off and he's being shown. But of course, it's a week from now we're really going to see it because when is Jesus's full glory really starting to be revealed? It's on Easter Sunday. It's with the resurrection. Notice the Apostle Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 1. He speaking, he said, you know, I'm preaching the gospel of Jesus who regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David. Okay, this is the Davidic promise. This is the Messiah. This is the one who's coming. But that's his human nature. And when you and I looked at Jesus, you know, we have the, the medieval paintings and Jesus has always got a halo around his head. But what did he look like when he walked around? Like everybody else. There, there was nothing, Isaiah actually says in Isaiah 53, there was nothing to attract us to his outward appearance. Okay, it's not any of that. So Paul reminds us that as to his human nature, he's a descendant of David. And who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God, how? By his resurrection from the dead. So see, it is in the resurrection that that everything is pulled off and it is clearly revealed for everyone. Jesus' power and glory, which were concealed very often during his earthly life, only seen in his glimpses, Uh, in glimpses through his teaching and miracles in the resurrection the veil is removed his power and glory are revealed to all to see and it is clear he is the son of god you can read actually in acts chapter 17 where paul's even preaching in athens he says something very similar he says look god has proven that everyone's going to give account to jesus christ and he proved that by raising him from the dead It is actually in the resurrection. And then we could even look further ahead, of course, when Jesus returns, again, his full glory and power are going to be seen and be acknowledged by all. So there's a little bit of a conundrum here because Jesus is saying this, but at the point he's actually saying these words in Mark's gospel, for the most part, the lamp is being concealed. But he's letting the disciples know, don't be confused. The same way he said to tell John the Baptist, don't be confused, it is going to be revealed at the proper time. So it's kind of like I've got the lamp covered until the right moment to let it be uncovered. But there's another aspect of this, which is that the lamp is revealing and uh, the, the concealed things even now. This is another thing that the New Testament teaches us. So, you know, Jesus said, hey, a lamp. Uh, discloses that which is concealed. Well, we see this in the scripture. So for example, in John chapter three, John writes this, this is Jesus uh, when speaking to Nicodemus. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Do you hear the same metaphor as in Mark's gospel in the parable? The, The lamp has walked in. The lamp has come in, light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. See, when, we, when we've had the sin, it's like if you've ever read Chronicles of Narnia, Edmund eats the magic Turkish delight, and then all of a sudden when Aslan's name is mentioned and everybody else is feeling joy, what's he feeling? Dread. Dread. Because he's participated in sin and treason. And so Jesus says, men love darkness instead of light. Everyone who does evil hates the light. 
and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth, in Jesus' parlance usually, whoever hears my word, whoever receives my word, they come into the light so that it can be seen plainly that what they've done has been done through God. They come into the light to clearly say, hey, it's not me, it's about what God has done. And so this is another time that Jesus has done it because what he's telling us is the lamp is shining into the dark corners and he's revealing the concealed things in all of our hearts. That's what a lamp does. When it comes out from behind, that which was hidden in the corner is now brought out into the opening. And this revealing that Jesus began even in his ministry that he continues to this very day, is going to be finalized and fully realized on the final day, the day of judgment. In Romans 2.16, the Apostle Paul says this, this will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Note what Paul's saying is, whatever has been hidden, Whatever you've managed to keep hidden, I might keep it hidden from my wife, from my kids, from you all. I might even hide it from myself, but it will not be hidden from God. All of the secrets will be brought into the light on that final day. Now, if you hear that and believe that, you should be getting a little bit of sweaty palms right now. Because even, even, and it's pretty amazing that Greg brought that scripture up this morning. I hadn't even thought about Psalm 19, but, but what a perfect psalm. Because see, we, we've got hidden faults that even we don't know. Every one of us does. And here Jesus is saying, look, this is what a light does. It reveals that which is concealed. And you and I have all got things that we know we're concealing, that's enough to make me nervous. What about the things that I didn't even know? I forgot that thing was there. So how do we apply the word? What does this mean? Well, Jesus, thankfully, tells us how to apply the word. He, he didn't put a screen up that says applying the word, but that's pretty much what he did in that second part of this parable. Notice verses 20. 3 to 25. So he's concluded this thing, I'm telling you about I'm the lamp and I've come. What do you do? If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And then notice he again in verse 24, consider carefully what you hear. Jesus is again doing this thing that is why he teaches in parables. The thing is you must here. You can't take this casually. You can't skip by this. You can't just say, you know, yeah, I've got, I've got the basic gist of it. No, you have to hear. You have to listen. You need to understand what's going on. We have to, uh, th- this hearing is going to require considering his word carefully to think through it so that we can understand it and we can apply it to our lives. And so, What happens, and and notice this is what goes on, when I'm hearing the word and the lamp starts to shine into secret places in my heart, what is my first temptation? Yeah, put, put a basket over that thing, man. Okay, or like Adam, run into the bushes and try to hide, to try and do that. When it reveals my sin, I'm tempted to stop 
hearing. But that is like me going to the doctor and the doctor diagnosing an illness and me saying, I don't want to hear this, I don't want to hear this, I don't want to hear this. And the doctor said, well, no, I've got a prescription. I can give you something that will solve this problem. I don't want to hear, I don't, I don't want to hear that I'm sick. That's a negative message to me. It's actually the path to healing is what it actually is. And so Jesus is telling us, that's why he says, look, it can be a scary thing when the lamp starts to reveal, but you need to hear the word because that's how you're going to be healed. And notice he goes on in the second part of, there, uh, second part of verse 24. He says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. And so you determine in essence, here's what he's saying, that the measure you pull out, the, the size of the basket you pull out is going to determine how much you receive. Because he's telling us that you have to continue to hear my word because the more you hear and receive, the more you can hear and receive. And the less I hear and receive, the less I'm going to be able to hear and receive. My present listening and receiving determine my future capacity to hear and receive. If I hear and receive today, I'll be given more tomorrow. But if I refuse or neglect hearing today, my capacity for tomorrow is diminished. There's no neutrality. I remind you, you know, a few weeks ago that when I was in my gospels class and, you know, my prof warned us of that thing, welcome back to the most dangerous place in the world. That's what happens when we come into contact with these parables. That's what happens when the lamp shines. The whether I hear and receive, the more I hear and receive, the more capacity I have to hear and receive tomorrow. When the light shines into one dark place and I, I resist the temptation to put a cover over it, then it has the ability to shine into even more places. But if I put the cover over it, I have less ability for the Spirit to work in my life. And so my posture towards God and his word today is either softening or hardening my heart, opening or closing my eyes to the light, opening or closing my ears to God's word and revelation. There is no neutrality. It's a myth. So as the Spirit speaks to you and me today, I am orienting and creating a posture that is more one way or another. Now, tomorrow, I can try to turn, but it's going to be harder. It's like I've traveled off in the wrong direction. And this is also what is preparing me for the final revealing on Judgment Day. See, that's the problem. We, we sometimes want to think, well, I can live and be oriented one way my entire life, and then when I need to, I will change. Okay, we, we used to have a saying uh, when I was at the Academy in the Marine Corps, it's better to sweat in peace than bleed in war. See, my preparation now, I want to think, hey, when that moment comes, I will stand up and be right. Not if you didn't prepare ahead of time, you won't. My daily preparation determines where I am heading. If I receive today, it softens my heart to receive tomorrow. If I harden my heart today, it makes it more difficult to hear tomorrow. And then if that continues on through life, then I come to 
the final day when every secret is laid bare before God. And see, at that day, there's no basket for me to put over the light. There, there's no putting my fingers in my ears. There's no stopping. On that day, the light shines. On that day, uh, I hear what is being done. And so if we refuse the king, his light, and his word on judgment day, our sin is going to be exposed. Our rebellion is going to be revealed and all will be lost. And see, that's exactly what's happening because remember the Pharisees are there and these guys know the scripture. I mean, like, you know, our, our kids just did a great job doing those Bible verses, right? I mean, these guys could like quote reams and reams and reams. The problem is, what was their response to the light? They hated it. And on the final day, Jesus says, you know what? What's going to be revealed is you might have been with your mouth honoring me, but your heart was far from me. That's what's going to happen with the Pharisees on that day. But see, if we receive the king, if we receive his light and his word now, the light will reveal Christ and his righteousness given to us. Because this is where I want to recover our sweaty palms. This is not a message to you and me that on that day, I'm going to be standing there and in front of all of you, God's going to say, let me tell you all the bad stuff that was in Brett's heart. So we sometimes think about Judgment Day, don't we? You know what's going to be revealed in my heart on Judgment Day? Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Not because of me, not because I'm perfect, but because I am his. And he is mine. See, there's two ways to stand there on Judgment Day when the light shines. The light can shine and you and I can be revealed for exactly what we are. And that is going to be an ugly picture. Or, on Judgment Day, I can stand there and what can be revealed is all of the blinding, pure righteousness of Jesus Christ. Which do I want on Judgment Day? I know which I want. I really don't want y'all looking at all the bad stuff that's still in there. It, it, it would be horrifying. But we as believers need to understand that. For those of us who are in Christ, Judgment Day will not be a shameful revealing of all we've done wrong, but a revealing of all the ways the Holy Spirit has worked in us, and so it's going to be a time of deep joy and reward. The light's going to reveal the reward that is ours in Christ. But all of that is determined by whether I hear and receive the word of the light that has come or not. Do I hear the word or reject the word? Do I see the light or do I close my eyes to the light? Do I, um, do I hear what the Spirit is saying or do I stop my ears up? Jesus says those things are going to determine what it is. So I want to encourage us as we're getting ready to come to the Lord's table, look to Christ now. Receive his word each and every day. And what that does is we develop an ever-expanding capacity to experience joy, both now and in eternity. D did you notice when Greg was sharing and reading out of Psalm 19, he was talking about that. You come to this place in the psalm where it seems like we're taking a sudden left-hand turn. I've been hearing about how wonderful God's word is, and now all of a sudden it's revealing my faults. But see, here's the reality. When the word of God reveals my faults, that's not bondage, that's a chance for freedom. 
That's not just to be grievous. That's a chance to expand my capacity for joy. See, that's the thing. Our soul's like a container. And it's like, you know, you're going and you can, you can have so much scooped into the container. When God's word reveals my sin and I resist the temptation to reject that word, my container is enlarged for joy. And when I give in and I refuse to hear, my joy container shrinks. What you and I want is ever-expanding ability to embrace joy, to receive what God has for us. So we're going to come to the Lord's table. And as we do this morning, I'm going to read a, a little bit extended passage. We normally stop a couple of verses before Paul finishes in 1 Corinthians because sometimes people misunderstand what he's saying here. We turn communion into this highly introspective thing when we're supposed to be looking outside of ourselves. But Paul does have some words for us regarding hearing from the Lord. So I want to encourage you to hear what the Lord says regarding um, coming to this table. For what I received from the Lord, I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And here's how Paul continues. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to give just a minute, and we want to ask the Holy Spirit. We want to ask Jesus the lamp. Lord, come shine. We want to do what was in Psalm 19. Lord, is there any way in me that is not the way you want it to be? Reveal to me my hidden faults. And when the Lord does, we want to confess that. Because the good news is, brothers and sisters, is we let the Spirit reveal sin, then we can come and receive grace. The Lord disciplines, but he does it graciously. So let's take just a moment and let the Spirit speak, and if there's anything, re reveal it and then confess it. Lord, by your Word and Spirit, you are revealed areas that we have tried to conceal. But, Lord, you have also reminded us that you are our gracious Father 
rather than an accusing judge. This was revealed once and for all when your son took our flesh and was broken for us. We receive this sacrament now in faith, trusting his work alone for salvation. Brothers and sisters, if you believe this, take and eat. Lord Jesus, by your blood, you secured our place in the new covenant so that our sins have been removed and your righteousness has been given to us. Consequently, we need no longer fear judgment, for the penalty has been paid and we stand before the Father in you, fully justified. So we receive this sacrament now in faith, trusting your work alone for our salvation now and on the final day. Brothers and sisters, take and drink. If you can stand with me, and we will close in prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to continue this work. Holy Spirit, you have searched us and known us, revealing our thoughts, knowing our words even before they are on our tongue. You are the one who continues to reveal hidden pockets of sin and rebellion, for you know us better than we even know ourselves. As David said, such knowledge is too wonderful for us, too lofty for us to attain. Lord, in fear, sometimes we have tried to hide, but there is nowhere we could flee from the Spirit. But today, having tasted the joy and freedom found in confessing rather than concealing our sin, we now cry out to you, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, Lord, know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Spirit of the living God, Soften our hearts, open our eyes, clear out our ears so that we might receive the word of our God. Holy Spirit, enlarge our capacity so that we might receive everything you have for us. And then we pray that you would empower us to share this good news with others that they need not hide in fear or shame, but can come to Jesus to find full forgiveness and freedom. O oh Lord our God, hear our prayer. And we ask that you would do all of this for your glory and for the good and joy of the people on whom your favor rests. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Brothers and sisters, you are blessed in Jesus Christ. Go forth and be a blessing. 
Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.